welcome to Brand with Podcast. I am your host, Ivan Estrada. In this podcast, we will be discussing all things branding and marketing, from fashion to design, real estate, entertainment, tech, philanthropy, and much more. Nothing is off the table. We will have guests from all over the world to give you a global perspective on branding and marketing. Our goal is to dissect as many branding and marketing experts to get you all thinking about your brand by providing motivation and inspiration for you. Thank you all for listening and let's roll. On this episode of Brand with Podcasts, I have the honor of hosting the highly decorated Tracy Matthews. Tracy is a jewelry designer, entrepreneur, mentor, author, and the host of a top-rated marketing podcast, Thrive by Design. As an entrepreneur, Tracy started her own highly successful jewelry brand called Tracy Matthews, where she makes exceptional custom jewelry for her clients. She is also the chief visionary officer of Flourish and Thrive Academy, an online masterclass that empowers other jewelry designers to pursue their passions. And for Creatives Rule the World, a business mentorship program for all types of visionaries. As an author, she helps other jewelry brands expand and grow their audience with her book, The Desired Brand Effect. I can continue to go on and on and about Tracy. She's just amazing, unique, unforgettable. And thanks again so much for being here with me on Brand with Podcast today. How are you, Tracy? How are you? I'm doing awesome. Thank you so much for having me. This is going to be so fun. This is so fun. As soon as you came on and I saw that energy, I was like, oh, yeah, we're going to have a good time today. Love your story. We've got two creatives here. I mean, I'm a manic creator. I don't know about you, but creative, creative. We'll get into that. but Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. But first and foremost, so Tracy, at what point in your career did you transition from being a custom jewelry maker to being a source of information on how to create a jewelry business? What was the catalyst for your newfound purpose? So going from my my production line to the custom Correct, jewelry? correct. Okay, awesome. So I started my business back in the 90s. It kind of came out of a tragedy in my life. My mom had passed away and... I was going back to school trying to figure out a major. And because I had to work full time, I um, needed a major where I could, again, I really wanted to be a fine arts major, but I needed a major that was going to allow me to take fine arts classes, but also uh, get done and get through college in just the two years that I had left. So I found this humanities major that allowed me to take one fine arts class a semester. And I'm like, well, that's what I'm going to have to do. And the first class I took was jewelry making. And so I started making jewelry on the side and selling it to friends and family, which a lot of people do in the beginning. Eventually started a business in the late 90s, and that brand grew from 350 stores to 350 stores around the world. And uh, I was growing, 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 and things were awesome until they weren't. (laughs) And I got into a situation where there was this year called 2008 that completely wiped my business out when the stock market crashed. And so There's a lot of stuff that happened kind of in between that. But coincidentally, like right around that time, I was kind of experiencing burnout. I was really questioning like, is what I'm doing, is this the right direction for me in my career? I felt like being a jewelry maker was like my identity, right? But I felt trapped in this one way that you were supposed to make uh, jewelry back then and and sell it. It was really, selling to stores was really the only way to get the word out there back then. and so. I was working with a business consultant and mentor, and he started asking me just a series of questions, like, because I was really, really in a bad spot, just depressed and like, what am I doing? And I feel like a failure, like a lot of people do when they have serious hardships in their lives. And he's like, what do you love to do? And I said, 
I love making jewelry and I love working with the customers. I love, I loved it when I designed a few engagement rings and that sort of thing. And so what came out of that was a new business model of designing, going from selling more en masse to a bunch of retail stores to really honing in on just working with a select group of people in a year. And I decided to make, I made that transition right around 2009 and 10. And that's when I officially launched that company. And it was honestly like the best decision I made. I love my first business. It was amazing. I had like tons of um, exposure and credibility and tons of celebrity clients and all the things that I'd ever wanted. But this new business model really like lit me up and made me so excited to be a jewelry maker and designer again. So, and it was really powerful, like, because it affected everything in my life from how much money I was making. I was making way more money than I ever had before because the overhead was so much lower and the business was much more manageable. And uh, my enjoyment level was so much higher because I got to work with these awesome people and get to know them instead of just kind of selling jewelry to like nameless faces, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it totally makes sense. Well, yeah. I, I love that. I mean, you you know, you know, talked about 2008, which affected a lot of us. Yes. And then obviously COVID, it, it yeah. affected so many of my friends, but they, they took a pivot, which is kind of what you did. You took a pivot and you took this situation that was obviously an awful one for the entire country. Yeah. And it made you really figure out what you wanted and what brings you that happiness, right? That mm -hmm. joy, that satisfaction. Yes, for sure. Yes. Oh, I love that. So let's talk about, you know, your childhood, because I think creativity mm -hmm. really stems, at least for me, it was, it was at home, right? And you talked about yeah. how athleticism was like, kind of like a big deal mm -hmm. at, at home. And you were more of like the creative, right? Like you were more into the arts. Like, tell me a little bit about, you know, younger Tracy when she was younger a kid Tracy. and how she honed in it. on her creativity and all that. I want to know more about it's so that. great. You really did your research. That's I awesome. did. I did. You're awesome. Story. We have a lot in common, which is why <laughs> I was super excited to interview you. So, yeah. So I come from, I have a huge family. I'm one of eight children. I grew up in the same household with six of them. Uh, I'm one of the older ones. And everyone in my family was like an athlete. And I'm athletic, but I would never really excelled at sports. And you know, I remember, you know, when you grow up in such a huge family like that, you're always vying for your parents' attention. So I was like, I, I tried to do the sports thing because I felt like if I did the sports thing, then maybe my parents would show up to like the track meet or the volleyball game or whatever it was. But I just, I never was really that good. And I was trying to fit into this box that was not meant for me. But when I was really happy, you know, I, I don't know about you, but when I was a kid, I daydreamed a lot. And so part of my escapism was like what I call now like visioning exercises where you're kind of like dreaming of a better life or what you're trying to create and stuff like that. So I spent a lot of time, I wouldn't, I don't know necessarily call it in my head, but it's like outside of my body in a way, like thinking about like all these things. And I remember at a very young age, you know, I, I love jewelry from a very young age. I used to dig into my mom's jewelry box, which I think a lot of jewelry makers do. But more than anything, I remember just being really into fashion and design. And so I would design these like uh, paper dresses for my Barbie dolls. Like it sounds kind of funny, but that was kind of the start of it. And so I, I always really loved art classes and I loved getting my hands in there. And while I wasn't like the best artist, I just felt so connected when I was making art or when I was daydreaming or like kind of getting out of the analytical mind. and. 
the more I notice now, you know, kind of transitioning to being an adult, the more time I spend kind of in that daydreaming mode, the more successful my business actually is, which is really interesting. So I started playing around with this concept of creativity and how it really impacts the growth of a company, you know, for the long haul. And what do you do now to really stay creative? Exactly. Like, do you meditate? Do you go on nature walks? Do you read? Do you listen to podcasts? Like, where do you get your your influences and how do you get inspired? Yeah, um, I have not officially been diagnosed as ADHD, but I feel like I probably am. <laughs> Um, and so for me, I get scattered a lot. And so it's important for me to do things that ground me. And so I was a yoga teacher for a long time. So I got into a meditation practice. Um, I try to meditate as much as I do. If I'm honest, like when I don't meditate, it puts me a little bit out of whack. So it's a daily kind of practice to try and like create the time and space for that. Try to do it in the morning. But meditation is great. I love hiking. I moved to Arizona two years ago um, during COVID. Um, and have spent a lot of time hiking when it's not too hot here. I just love nature. I, uh, the ocean, like whenever I can get to the ocean and swim in the beach, that's amazing. But on a regular like daily practice, I think journaling, trying to find some space to be creative because my creativity has kind of transformed. I'm not, not, not always drawing these days. I'm, the creativity kind of comes out in like more strategy. And that's really what I enjoy working on. Like how can we solve these problems? How can like what are some – what's the next step for any of my companies, right? Or how can we kind of turn this vision and make it into a reality? Like what are the steps and processes for that? So I um, have adopted something called Creative Days in my business. I did this, started this about five or six years ago. And so every Wednesday, um, which is a day that sometimes I, I create content because that to me is really creative, right? Uh, every Wednesday, it's a day blocked out. I can't have any appointments. There's no interviewing or anything like that unless it's intentional. And that's my time to just think. And then the same thing with Fridays. Like I have this real big desire to like eventually completely take Fridays off at some point. I'm not there yet, but I usually take a half day on Friday. And those are just times to think. And it, it's like creating the space for myself has allowed so much more flow in my life. Yeah, that's so important that you say yeah. that because I'm the same way when it comes to creativity. Mm -hmm. um, I allow myself a day out of the week, just like you do, to really think. There's this book that I was reading called Deep Work, and it Ooh. talks about how you really need to focus. Like if you really want to come up with something creative and inspirational and things that are going to really help humanity – you need the time away from everything else, from every yeah. distraction in order to really think, right? To go inward. Um, and that's so important, especially nowadays where I think we're being pulled in every single direction, mm -hmm. social media, family, friends, right? With what's happening in the world. And it's it's hard to just kind of stay put and think, right? Because I think mm -hmm. that's what really helps a business move forward is these visionary ideas. But in order to get there, you need time, right? You need time to, to come up with them. It's true. You need time. You need the time and space to think through it. And when you don't give yourself the time and space to be strategic about what you're trying to create, it has a long-lasting repercussion and ramification for the long haul. And so I think that it's really, really important for everyone listening to this show to make sure that they're, they have a commitment. And if it's not one day a week, that it's one day a month where they just completely clear their calendar and they sit with whatever it is 
and do the deep work, as you said. Yeah, you have to have the deep work. So let's let's talk about creative rules of world. Yeah. Um. Let's. Why did you start that? You know, it's it's to deeply connect with visionaries. Like, what was the goal there? I the goal was really like you know I'm an events person, in person events, and it's funny I coincidentally coincidentally like launched this company like around t- 2019 or I can't remember if it was 18 or 19. And then we, I kind of get into like planning all these retreats and events <laughs> and then we get COVID. So it was like a little bit on the back burner. But the impetus w- for it was that I was working with all these creatives who were getting really burnt out by working, by building a business. And it was really hard for them to kind of create the space themselves that they needed to like regenerate and refresh and kind of really strategize and think through to their next level. So there's been a couple of iterations. I think originally it was for people who are kind of like in that reinvention stage, but I think it, it's kind of, it's more evolved to helping people kind of get to their next level. And so what I do over there is I host luxury retreats and events, and eventually I'll be launching um, a year-long mastermind for creative entrepreneurs who want to do who are here to do big things and who who value and want to take the space and time out to really I guess the best word I can think of right now is to workshop their big ideas and to overcome any of the internal hurdles that might be preventing them from doing that on their own. And so um, I just hosted one, a retreat last week, and we worked on visioning exercises, uh, something that I call a three-year vision call. We Everyone had a hot seat. Uh, we had someone in the group was um, hosting healing sessions for people to help them overcome like the mindset stuff that's holding them back. And it was phenomenal. Everyone left that retreat just feeling so rejuvenated, revived, and just so excited about their next step. And so to me, there's nothing that is more exciting than seeing people in that state of where they're just so excited about what's next. And they're just like pumped about continuing to grow their business for the long haul. And it's just so fun to see. So what you just said, it, it flashed with me a little bit because I connected it with it with it as well, was the internal hurdles, right? Yeah. Like, I think like we're our worst enemy sometimes mm-hmm. and our best advocate. What are some of the like top hurdles that come to mind when a creative entrepreneur comes to you and is looking to get to that next level of their career, but something's holding them back? Well, honestly, like if we want to go deep psyche, it's usually stuff that happened in their childhood. I mean, that they have created meaning from that they may have think that they resolve, but still showing up. Like, um, I mean, I'm not at liberty to like share people's personal traumas or anything like that. But for instance, I would say like something common might be like an abandoned child. Like that maybe they are, <laughs> you know, I think a lot of us who are in their, our 40s and 50s had parents who like were barely hanging on by a thread. They maybe had the, their children very young and they weren't fully equipped to be parents at that time. So a lot of people have abandonment issues. And so when they're running their business or operating a team or something like that, they make decisions based on this wounded child. And instead of doing what's best necessarily for the company, they are trying to perpetuate that story. So a good example of that might be someone, uh, and I'll just say this is something that I've done before, who's afraid to maybe let someone go on their team that's actually like not really a good fit, right? But it's, and it's causing a lot of havoc and it's, preventing them from moving forward and actually like stalling their growth, stunting their growth because they're not getting the output that they need from that person or for whatever reason the person might be 
like uh, disrupting the the company culture and causing bad morale for other other people on the team. But instead of just like making the hard choice to have the a conversation with the person to get them back on the right path, maybe they avoid it or they make excuses about why they aren't making a, a change or a difference and that they just keep that person on until eventually maybe the person just ends up quitting and you're like feeling a sense of relief, but then there's all this damage done because maybe it's like two years later. And so that would be like one example, but I think for artists and a lot of creative types, if it, a lot of it has to come down to value and charging what you're worth. And I'm not talking about like charging a million dollars for something that doesn't command that price point. It's really about getting in alignment with, you know, here's the value of what I do and what I'm trying to create. And here's what the market will bear for that. And how can I create as much value as possible while being creative and communicate that in a way where I'm fully aligned, where I can command this price point and it feels good. I'm not working against like what's going on on the inside. Because if you don't believe that you deserved something, then you're never going to really rise up and get to that. I, I had a friend uh, who helped me when I, my first business basically was falling apart. And she was getting into life coaching and she's master coach. And she came from a really like unique upbringing, let's just put it that way. And her, her hurdles were a lot different than my hurdles, but she didn't have any issues around money, which is funny because her mom was always in poverty. And she could go in. She was easily making in her corporate career like $330,000. She's like, money's easy to make. Like, But she's like, but here are my issues. So she's like, let me help you overcome like your belief systems about money so we can help you rise to the next mm -hmm. level. And so I think that that's like, that's a common issue amongst creatives is that they don't feel like they deserve yeah. to get paid, right? Oh, yeah. And it's it's funny you bring that up because uh, Aaron Keith, who's my business coach, and, and mm -hmm. I see him as an older brother. He's been my coach yeah. for the last six years. He said, he's like, I need you to put down your belief system of of money, wealth, and success. Mm -hmm. And there was a lot more negative than there were positive. And so I, I had to restructure my belief system on what I, my belief system was on money and why I thought yeah. it was bad or why I thought it was good. Exactly. And a lot of it stemmed from my youth, right? The belief systems that were passed down from either my mom or my dad, because my, my dad was, it still is a janitor at middle school. Uh, my mom was a seamstress. And so we didn't really grow up with much. And mm -hmm. when we did have something, we really had to save it, right? Like we were taught to save like nobody's business. Yeah. And not to invest because we didn't have the money to lose if we if the investment were to go down. And so it's exactly. it's funny you bring that up because it's, you know, for me, it's been a lot of personal development on trying to dismantle my belief systems and also any experiences or stories or narratives that I attach to situations that happened to me as a child, really grabbing those and not letting them affect my future and my future self-worth, like you just said, right? Because I, mm -hmm. I still suffer with that sometimes, right? Like the imposter syndrome yeah. of of thinking, can I charge for that? Can I, should I just give that for free or should I, like, I don't know if there's enough value here and it's, you know, a constant internal battle. It is. And I know, I know a lot of people in my community have come from similar backgrounds as you or different backgrounds similarly. And sometimes I feel like it can cause a lot of scarcity. Like if I spend this money or invest this money, like there's not going to be any more instead of thinking about it as like, well, I'm going to invest this money and it's going to grow like in that education. So it is definitely 
something I feel like that a lot of people need to work on. You're not the only one. I mean, I'm working on the same thing. So it's, it's a lot. No, it is a lot. So what if, you know, if you get an entrepreneur who comes your way, because I I actually have a lot of friends like this who are, you know, they're good money people and they think Mm -hmm. they have a good idea, but then they tell themselves, but I'm not creative. I'm I'm just not creative. I, I pass that on to somebody else. And, and I just don't believe that. But how would you advise someone with that? Because I feel like we're all creative, right? It's just, it's a mindset thing or really, yeah, it's a mindset thing. Well, everyone is creative. Um, I a hundred percent agree with you on that. I think their expression of creativity is different and I have a great story on this. Uh, when I like back in about 2006 or seven, my friends, um, my friend art messaged or reached out to me and he's, he worked in finances, finance, excuse me, in New York City, came down to my studio and he's like, let me help you with some business modeling. And I was like, sure, you know, I could really use some like expert eyes on my business. I'm not really sure like if we're like, if I'm spending too much or if I should be investing more money back into the business. And we were experiencing some cash flow issues at the time because we were landing some really big accounts and you're at, we were out like the investment in the inventory for sometimes um, six months before we would get paid for the product. And there was a whole cycle of things happening. So he came in, he took a look. We, we had a conversation, started walking around the studio and he was like, oh my gosh, this is so cool. You're so creative. And like, I don't have a creative bone in my body. And then, you know, he's like, okay, well, I'll work on these models and come back later. And he comes back like a few days later and he shows me this spreadsheet he made and you like plug in a number and like it, the thing like does magic. And I'm just like, oh my gosh. To me, that is like the ultimate in creativity. And so I don't want anyone to ever think like you're not creative. I think it's your expression of creativity that's different. And sure, some people are more analytically minded. We need those kinds of people. But your creativity kind of filters through in that, within through that lens, right? So uh, there's a great book, if your audience hasn't read it, um, you've probably heard of it, called Rocket Fuel. And they talk about the core people on a team once your business gets to a certain size, but the two people leading the company, the visionary and the integrator. So the visionary is the one who is like kind of more the way out there, creative, strategic person. And then the integrator is the more analytical person, but there is a lot of creativity in that role that that needs to be expressed. But the difference between them, it's not that each of those roles is less creative. It's just one has more of a strategy mind and the other one has more of an implementation mind. And so when you can identify, you know, whoever your friends are or people listening to this who feel like, oh, well, I know how to run a business and I can do the business part, but I'm not, you know, I don't have the ideas, then you might need to outsource some vision or strategy or ideation. In fact, I even sometimes outsource the strategy because sometimes you're like, just keep coming up with the same ideas over and over again and you want a new, a fresh perspective. And so it's not that you're not creative. It's just the lens in which you're looking at your creativity. Yeah, no, that's that's yeah. well said. And so speaking of visionaries, you call yourself the chief visionary officer yeah. of your company, which I've like, I thought that was so brilliant because I was like, <laughs> I've never heard of that before. That sounds awesome. So how did that, how did that come about? Well, originally, you know, we had this program a long time ago, maybe like, gosh, we launched it maybe nine years ago or eight years ago called Multiply Your Profits for Flourish and Thrive Academy. And that was really, that was basically um, a a do-it-yourself program that is part of what is now in our Momentum Coaching Program. But it's really about developing business operations and 
the structure internally in your business that will allow you to be more creative. And as I was doing this, you know, I was doing this kind of side-by-side comparison. This is also in my book, The Desire Brand Effect, in the first chapter, which even if you're not a jewelry designer, the book would be, might be super helpful for you to kind of think about how you're showing up for your business, especially if you're kind of in that startup phase with uh, any sort of company, is how you're showing up for your business. Are you showing up as someone who's operating out of maker mindset? Or are you someone who's showing up as the chief visionary officer? And so as I was doing this side-by-side comparison, I really wanted to say CEO, but I knew that if I did that, these creative types would have serious pushback because they're like, I don't want to be a CEO. Like I'm a maker or I'm an artist, you know, whatever it is. And so I was like, what's a term that I can use that aligns more with their creative side, but also shows that they're stepping into a role of leadership and working on their business instead of in their business. And so that that term actually came about then. And then I read Rocket Fuel maybe like two or three years later after I read Traction. And I was like, oh my gosh, I was onto something here and I didn't even realize it. And so I started calling myself the chief visionary officer because like quite honestly, I don't want to be the CEO of my company. And as soon as I can, uh, as soon as my company is to a place where I can hire a CEO, I will. <laughs> and that's like 100% like something that is a goal of mine. So um, I am an acting CEO, but I, I prefer to be in a more creative role. So I call myself the chief visionary officer. Yeah, I like that because it kind of in a yeah. way, you know, a CEO, I'm the CEO of my company, Ivan Estrada Properties and the CEO of Brand With. Mm-hmm. There comes like a level of pressure that comes with yeah. that, right? That I, I I have to constantly remind myself, I'm like, oh my God, I'm the CEO of these two companies. Oh my God, mm-hmm. uh, it's a lot of pressure. I have staff and I have to, you know, do this and do that. And I'm, you know, I, I wear many hats at many times, but that that name does have a bit of pressure. And also I, I feel like it comes with a bit of opinion, right? From other people yeah. who look at me as the CEO because- I still see myself as this, you know, eight-year-old kid. I don't know why. And I'm like, am I, am I, I'm really the CEO? Like that's, 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 that's a lot of pressure. It's a lot of pressure. Yeah. It can feel like it, but at the same time, yeah. you're kind of a badass. So. It's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. It's pretty <laughs> damn cool. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> okay. Well, let's talk about, you know, so you have your own jewelry line, right? And, but you yes. also help other entrepreneurs who have mm-hmm. jewelry lines as well, right? Yes. Like you're, you're helping, in a sense, your competition. I am. I love that. I mean, I guess you could put it that way. Yeah, so. yeah. But that's that's that was like very commendable, and I was like, wow, that's that's pretty awesome. So tell me more about that strategy and and was sure. how did that come about? Well, when I was building my first company from 1998 ish, or when I went full time in 98 to 2009, I would constantly say to myself, I wish someone would just tell me what to do. <laughs> And I hired a consultant towards the end of that business who told me what to do. And it was freaking amazing. I was like, oh my gosh, this is awesome. And I found that like as, you know, in 2010 and 11 and 12, as I was kind of transitioning into this new business model, because I did have all this exposure and people knew who I was, I did have a pretty well-known brand at that time. People would reach out to me because they would like, find like magazine clippings or things that where they'd featured me like, hey, can I pick your brain? Hey, can we go for coffee? Or hey, you know, can you help me with my business? So I started doing some consulting on the side. And I realized that that was not a sustainable model for me because I'm an extreme extrovert and I really prefer a group over one-on-one unless it's a really high level client. Like I'll work one-on-one with people who are 
already super successful to kind of give them some insights. Because there's a lot that you need to do in the startup phase. And so I was trying to figure out how can I make this more scalable? And I just gotten kind of taken my first online course. And I was like, why don't I turn my knowledge into a program of what I know works? That was kind of the how the desired brand effect, my methodology arose. I didn't realize that that's what I was, that it was called that at the time, but I was teaching through this filter of like attracting the right audience, converting those people into customers. Um, so creating desire, sharing desire and scaling desire. And I knew that when there was another thing that happened, hold on, let me get back to that, that really made me want to change the story for the jewelry industry because the jewelry industry is a very tight lipped industry and no one would share their secrets. In fact, I was at a trade show once and someone who I considered a very good friend of mine, like we would go to dinner. We didn't live in the same city when I moved to New York, but, uh, and they were on in the Bay Area. I asked them once, like when we were in New York at a trade show, hey, where'd you get your hang tags from? And for people who don't know, hang tags just like a little metal tag that you put on the back of a piece of jewelry that you can stamp your logo on. It's not a proprietary technique. And literally this person froze up and looked panicked like I was trying to steal her trade secrets and said, I'm sorry, I can't tell you that. And this was someone who was a good friend of mine. And I was like, hmm, that's interesting. It's so interesting to me that someone's not going to share their supplier. Like it's, it's, wouldn't it be that hard for me to actually find? I mean, at that time, uh, searching for things online wasn't as um, relevant because it was more like you had to go to these bead shows or gem shows and stuff like that to find people. But at the same time, like, I was just like, that's so dumb. Like, why wouldn't someone want to share that with me? And I realized the second time around when I grew my business that it didn't, it, all the other people that sell jewelry that was like similar to mine or very different to mine, we weren't necessarily competitors. I feel like in the old way that I used to sell jewelry, that was the belief. But when I had a moment to step back, I was like, why can't we all just be successful? What's going to be different? And I'm not, you know, you can practically throw a rock and hit another jewelry designer. So I'm not saying that launching a startup jewelry company is for the faint of heart because it is definitely not. There's a lot of hard work. It is not rocket science. I can give you the tools, but if you are unwilling to implement them and you snub your nose at, at growth, then you aren't going to get the results. You're not going to get any results. But if you, if you actually do the work and dig deep and keep going, you, you will get results. In fact, like it's so awesome. On my podcast, Thrive by Design, this week we featured uh, – this week as we're recording this, I featured um, a, a sister duo called Emery and Opal, Tiffany and Amanda Reese, who started their business by taking our Laying the Foundation program. In this last year, they closed the year making a million dollars in sales, wow. which is huge. They have a handmade jewelry company that is selling like $100 products, like or actually – Something sometimes a lot less, like they have things for $25 retail. So it is possible, but it requires a commitment to do the work. And I think that's the the big thing. Like if you're not willing to, I always say that entrepreneurship and starting a business is like the best or the most intense personal development program. If you're not willing to go to those dark places and like overcome all of your stuff, then just go work for someone else. It's not worth it because there is a lot of emotion that comes up and there, it's hard. And um, it can be easier when you have the steps. And that's the whole reason why I launched Flourish and Thrive Academy was so that people didn't have to sit there wondering like, 
oh, what am I supposed to do next to grow my business? And I, I get it. Like people are skeptical. Like why would you want to share your secrets? But I don't know. We've helped over 8,000 people in our community grow successful brands and it just keeps growing That's as time amazing. goes on. Yeah. And, and so Tracy, how can people find Flourish and Thrive Academy? They can Google or Instagram oh, and like how can they connect? Yeah. Well, with you can find us. Um, you can find Flourish and Thrive at, at Flourish underscore Thrive. Uh, or if you want to just go head to the website, it's flourishthriveacademy.com. Well, this has been amazing. But before we head out, Tracy, so what's next for you? You've done a lot. You're, you have so much to be thankful for and so many other jewelry designers who I'm sure are so thankful for everything that you've done for the community. But what, what's next for Tracy? Well, I am really focused on continuing to help people thrive in their jewelry businesses. And I'm hosting experiential retreats this year for creatives. So if you're interested in learning more about those, I'm hoping my Creatives Rule the World podcast is coming out in the next couple of months too. I'm super excited about that. So feel free to reach out to me um, over on Instagram at Tracy Matthews NY. That's for my time in New York and um, come say hi. Awesome. Well, thank you all for listening to this episode of Brand With Podcast with Tracy Matthews. Find out more about her and her jewelry business on tracymatthews.com. You can also learn more from Tracy on her podcast, Thrive by Design, which is streaming on all major podcast streaming platforms. Link to Tracy's website and all her endeavors are in the episode's description. I'll see you next time. Great. Thank you all again for listening to this episode. For more information on branding and marketing, check out our ecosystem on brandwith.com. You can also find more tips by signing up for our newsletter that's not boring or by following us on social media. If you're looking to get featured on this podcast to discuss your branding or marketing needs, find out how to do so on our website as well. Can't wait for you to brand with us again.